You are listening to Words from the Servants, a podcast produced by the Servants of the Word, an international ecumenical brotherhood of men living symbol for the Lord. You can download this podcast from our website or access it on iTunes or any other podcasting apps. John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33 is the meditation passage for today. And I'll read it in pieces. It's quite a long and complex passage, so I'll take it uh, section by section. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew went with Philip, and they told Jesus. This is an unusual incident. It doesn't show up in the other Gospels. And it is unusual to have Greeks referred to here. They show up, and they say they want to see Jesus, and they're never heard from again. Who are these Greeks who've come up to worship at the Feast of Passover? They could be Greek-speaking Jews, though if so, it is unique to refer to them in this way in the New Testament. They're probably God-fearers, those who have joined themselves to the people of the God of Abraham and have not undergone circumcision, have not fully entered the covenant, but worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, live according to the moral teaching of the Old Covenant, and quite often support the synagogue that they're connected to through uh, giving of financial material support. Or they could be proselytes, those who have been circumcised and are now full members of the covenant. And they probably come from the area just outside Galilee, which is why perhaps they go through Philip, who's from that area, but also has a Greek name. And so they they come to Philip, and Philip then tells Andrew, uh, who also has a Greek name, and the two of them go to Jesus. Perhaps they're among the best Greek speakers among the apostles, or perhaps they have some other connection. But they want to see Jesus. And what's the significance of this event? First, it seems to confirm what we find in the verse just preceding this, after the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The Pharisees said to one another, it tells us in John 12, 19, you see that you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Here we see these Greeks who would indicate those from a far country coming after him. Second, however, it seems to be a signal to Jesus, and we see that from what comes next. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus seems to recognize from the coming of these Greeks that his hour has come to be glorified. His mission is a universal mission to gather into one the scattered children of God, as he said in John eleven fifty two, 
to draw all men to himself, as he'll go on to say here. The hour is a phrase that shows up repeatedly in John, referring to the crucifixion. We find it in chapter 2, verse 4, in connection with the miracle at Cana. Woman, my hour has not yet come. We find it in chapter 4, verse 21, when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and he says, the hour is coming and now is. In chapter 23 of verse 4, Jesus repeats the phrase. We find it over and over again in chapter 7, verses 6 and 8 and 30, in chapter 8, verse 20, and then here in chapter 12. We find it again just at the beginning of the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, in the first verse of chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that his hour had come to depart out of this world and return to the Father, or in John chapter 17, verse 1, in his prayer to the Father. Here, the arrival of the hour is signaled to Jesus. And once again, the hour has come, but its impact will endure, and that's signified by the use of the perfect tense in the Greek. What is this hour? It's the hour of the glorification of the Son of Man, Jesus says. And the background to this is Daniel chapters 7 to 9. In Daniel, the Son of Man has a few important characteristics. He represents God's people who are being oppressed by a series of beasts, as it's portrayed there. He's one with his people. He's a son of man as opposed to the beasts who are opposing his people. He's a suffering character. If we see chapters 7 to 9 of of Daniel as a whole, he's triumphant despite his suffering. And above all, we see that he's a heavenly figure to whom is given dominion by the ancient of days, the figure of God himself. So this hour is the hour of the glorification of this one who comes in solidarity with his people to free them from oppression and to receive a kingdom from the ancient of days. And thus in John, the hour is connected with Christ's glory and the salvation he's coming to bring. Jesus goes on and uses this analogy of the grain of wheat. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is an analogy. The grain of wheat goes into the earth, the kind of figure of going into the tomb, of being uh, buried. And if it doesn't go into the earth, it won't germinate and bring forth life. And this seed is, first of all, Christ himself. Augustine says, he spoke of himself. He himself was the grain that had to die and be multiplied to suffer death through the unbelief of the Jews and to be multiplied in the faith of many nations. The point is not that death must precede resurrection for its own sake, but for the salvation of the world. This seed, who is Christ, will have to die in order to bring forth life. 
so that it doesn't remain alone, but as Hebrews says, brings many sons to glory. Jesus goes on, he who loses his, loves his life, loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is very close to the discipleship sayings in the synoptics, where it speaks about taking up our cross and following Christ and being ready to lose our life in order to save it. And by contrast, those who save their lives in this life will lose them for eternal life. And the image behind that is probably the choice to die rather than to betray Christ. They're they're martyrdom passages. Here, Jesus uses in the Gospel of John two different Greek words for life. He who hates his life in this world is the word that's normally translated soul. He who loses his soul in this life will keep it for eternal life. The contrast is not just duration, but quality. To keep your physical life at the cost of your spiritual life, or to give up your physical life in order to gain eternal life. Christ says, if anyone serves me, and it's emphatic in each of these sentences, and the way that the Greek is written, if anyone serves me, it's me he must follow. And where I am, my servant shall be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Christ is going to his hour to give up his life, and the servant must go the same path. Service to Christ, however, brings honor from the Father because Christ is the Father's Son. If anyone honors me, my Father will honor him because I'm the Son of the Father and he loves me. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing by heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, a word that means deeply moved. The same term appears just before he raises Lazarus in the previous chapter, when he confronts the power of death and the mourning into which it's cast human beings, Jesus is troubled. And now he's troubled again here at the prospect of death. It shows up again in chapter 13, verse 21, at the prospect of betrayal by Judas. So while John emphasizes the triumph of Christ in the passion, Jesus stands firm. He refuses to yield No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, as he says in chapter 10. Carrying his cross alone, like a trophy, as Thomas Aquinas would say, Jesus is nonetheless a suffering human being. And the suffering at betrayal and death are not absent from him. But what shall he say 
in the face of this trouble. Father, save me from this hour? No, rather, it's for this hour that I've come into the world. The question is rhetorical. It's immediately followed by this strong no. The whole gospel is moving toward this hour. So at the point when the coming of the Greeks indicates his hour has come, Jesus embraces it. And we find that all through the gospels, particularly in the gospel of John. Instead, not save me from this hour, but Father, glorify your name. Manifest your sovereignty. John has no agony in the garden, remember. This is the equivalent of what we find in the synoptics in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. Here, horror of death and ardor of obedience are fused together, as one commentator says. The voice from heaven here witnesses to Christ. Remember, John doesn't have a baptism of Jesus, a scene of the baptism nor the transfiguration. But here the Father testifies to him. I have glorified it, he says. And it's a little hard to specify. Probably it refers to the miracles of Christ. Certainly, Augustine sees that as one possibility. And I will glorify it again, referring to the resurrection, or perhaps to the cross itself as the Son's triumph over sin. Quite likely, we can think of the two together and always need to think of the death of Christ and resurrection together. So the crowd has heard something, but they're divided. Jesus says, I don't need this voice, but you do. This is a sign not for me, but for you. Because now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. The cross represents the judgment of the world. This probably follows here because of the differing judgments that those who heard the voice made. And now the death of Christ is going to present human beings with a choice. And that choice will be a judgment. John chapter 3, Jesus says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. The ruler of this world, Jesus says, is judged as well, but he's cast out like a being cast into the outer darkness. And I, when I, again the emphatic I, am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The point is that the cross perhaps is already the beginning of that exaltation that will be completed in the resurrection. Jesus will be lifted up, as John chapter 3 says, as a serpent was lifted up in the wilderness that those who look upon him in faith might be healed and saved. And he will draw all kinds of men from every nation to himself, thus The passage is rounded off that begins with the coming of the Greeks because now the hour is coming when Christ will be glorified and the Father glorifies him and is glorified in him. Jesus lifting up will lead to salvation for all who look upon him. This podcast was produced by the Sermons of the Word, the Brotherhood of Celibate Men, that is part of the Sword of the Spirit, an international ecumenical network of covenant communities. 
For similar and other content, visit us on servantsoftheword.org. If you liked what you listened to, please leave us a review on iTunes.